Good morning, NFL fans, and welcome to another edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We've seen most of Week 1's action as of this recording now. Uh, of course, uh, there's a chance that you're listening after the Monday Night Games have been already played, but um, this podcast is recorded every Sunday night, so we are minutes away from the closing of the Steelers-Broncos game, and that's where we're going to start off. We're going to go through the, the uh, three games on our last show last Wednesday night that have been played, and then, of course, go through a bunch of other games that were played on Sunday. But we're going to start off with the Sunday night game. It's going to be our um, opener probably on every show going forward, and that Sunday night game was a big, a big game hyped up because of Peyton Manning's return, and, of course, it was... A rematch of last year's AFC wildcard uh, game between the Broncos and the Steelers. Played again in Mile High City of Denver, Colorado, and the Broncos were, got that win, in case you missed it, 31-19 to over Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. So my, my initial thoughts on the game um, from the Broncos' standpoint is everything that they wanted out of Peyton Manning, all the hype, of Peyton Manning coming over and leading the Broncos perhaps to the playoffs or making them a Super Bowl contender. Quite honestly, after week one, it's still early in the season, but after week one, all of it is true. Uh, Peyton Manning had a great game, went 19 for 26, 253 yards, and threw two touchdowns. I think the key to me is he didn't really make any mistakes against a team that's probably going to have a pretty good defense this year, um, at least annually. Annually, they, they do have a good defense. That's the Steelers. Um, but he made that defense look pretty average. Um, early on, the Steelers were able to stop the Broncos. But in the second quarter, after the Broncos went to that no-huddle offense, Manning and the, the offense for the Broncos just went off and scored a touchdown late in the second quarter uh, with five minutes remaining to take the lead. They actually went into halftime losing the Steelers were winning 10 to 7 at at the break but on the next possession it only took two plays for the Broncos to score again and it just for the rest of the game after that last possession of the first half it, it just didn't look like the Steelers were going to stop the Broncos and they were able to hold them to a field goal late in the fourth quarter to keep it a, a one possession game but it, it just it didn't seem like the Steelers have much confidence and their and their defense going to be able to stop uh, the Broncos' attack. And it, was, it wasn't just Peyton Manning, to be honest. It was a lot of Willis McGay. He, he, he gashed the Steelers' defense for 9-yard gains, 11-yard gains here and there. And that's pretty uncharacteristic for a Steeler team, a Steeler defense anyway. But um, Manning uh, calling those audibles at the line of scrimmage. We saw Troy Palomalu play away from the line of scrimmage a lot because of the absence of Ryan Clark. Of course, Ryan Clark did not play because he has that rare disease where um, I believe it's the sickle cell. So um, he's unable to play in high-altitude stadiums, which, of course, uh, Denver is 
the Mile High City, as they nickname it. Um, so he, so without his partner in crime, Troy Palomalu, uh wasn't in his normal position on the field, played away from the line of scrimmage a lot, and that caused, um, I, I think that hurt the Steelers' run defense. And, and Peyton Manning really took advantage of that, and then when, when Palomalu creeped up towards the line of scrimmage, um, Peyton called a passing play. So he really kept the Steelers on their toes and was one step ahead of them for for this, the entire second half. And um, as a result, the Broncos really did well on offense. Total of 334 yards. It's not going to stand out to you um, too much in the box score, but for, for a Steeler defense that normally doesn't... Normally they average for a total of less than 300 yards allowed every year. And so 334 yards allowed is quite a lot for, for Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I think Denver should be really happy with the way their offense played, and Peyton Manning played very well um, himself. Flipping it to the Steelers' side of the ball, um, this was a tough game, a tough row game. Uh, um the, the announcers, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, kept saying how difficult it is to play in Denver for the first time uh, of the season because you're not used to playing a full game. And then on top of that, you're in the high altitude. There's less oxygen. You get tired easy, easier. Um, that's all true. So this was a very tough game, actually, for the Steelers. Um, tough row game. But ultimately, they're going to be they're very disappointed with the result. Um, this was a game that they had, or you know, they had the lead several different times, and then had the ball with the chance to go and take the lead. And then Ben Roethlisberger, at the end of the game, throws the interception to Tracy Porter, that ends up being returned for a touchdown. And then the game gets out of hand. The the, the Broncos win by 12. But um, I think early on, the key for the Steelers, and this was the the same thing in the playoff game. The Steelers, rather than jumping off to a 14-0 lead like they could have last January, they jump out to a 6-0 lead because they have to settle for field goals. And in, in this game, it was even worse. Uh, in the first, in the second quarter, excuse me, um, the Steelers get inside the 10. I think they were inside the 5, and they have to settle for a field goal attempt. And Sean Sweezum kicks the the first field goal to make it 3-0. And then again in the third quarter, uh, they have to settle for a 35-yard field goal. Those those are points that are left off the board. And then rather than it being 13-7, to say they get one of those touchdowns and it's 17-7, to so then it's 17-14 rather than 14-13. And then the next touchdown the Steelers get, they don't have to go for two. And then, um, you know, obviously it changes the whole game, but that's what I mean. If, if you've got to convert, you've got to get touchdowns when you get the ball inside the 10, inside the 5. Those are have to be those possessions have to be touchdowns and in recent years with Bruce Arians they haven't been and I think that's why they brought in the new offensive coordinator with Todd Haley they want to they want him to bring on a fullback they want him to reestablish a power running game and I didn't see it tonight a lot of the runs were from the shotgun a lot of them were draw plays which were effective at times. Jonathan Dwyer actually had a pretty good game. Nine rushes, 43 yards, so a pretty good average. But Isaac Redman's average was horrible. Ran 11 times for 20 yards, less than two yards per carry. And 
there was no bounce, and you're going to see that that's going to be a key um, a key point to our show today. Balance in offenses in the NFL, and the Steelers had no balance. Roethlisberger threw the ball 40 times, and the Steelers only rushed, I, I think it was about 22 times. So almost a 2-to-1 ratio passing the ball versus running the ball. Yes, it's a pass-happy league. Yes, the, the quarterbacks dominate um, play in the NFL today. But look at Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning threw more for more yards than Roethlisberger and had almost 15. They had, he had actually 14 less attempts. So, you know, it, it's you don't have to throw the ball a lot. It just has to be an effective passing game. And, and um, you have to have good balance. And Todd Haley was brought in to have that balance, and it... it it didn't show off today. I mean, if they want to get to where they well, they want to be on offense, uh, they have to reestablish the running game. Yes, they were missing Mendenhall, but quite honestly, I, I thought the the Steelers are expecting to be able to to run with their their backup guys. Isaac Redman's a pretty good backup, um, and they weren't able to against this Bronco team. So we'll see. The the uh, next week, these two teams, the Steelers, will take on the Jets, who we're going to talk about a little bit later. They had a great game against the Bills, and the Broncos are going to take on the Falcons. That's actually going to be a pretty intriguing matchup as the Falcons routed the Kansas City Chiefs earlier on Sunday. Now let's move into what was the game of the week around the NFL: the San Francisco 49ers against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau. And the 49ers took that game 30-22, to the final. The Packers made a little bit of a comeback at the end of the game. The game wasn't as close as the score indicates. The 49ers pretty much had it all the way as they, I would say, dominated the Green Bay Packers on the road. Uh, Alex Smith, great game, 20-26, for 26, and threw for two touchdowns. One of those was to the new 49er, Randy Moss, caught his... Uh, First touchdown of the season, first one in over two seasons, um, and moved into second place all-time on the receiving touchdowns list ahead of Terrell Owens, only behind the great Jerry Rice. So let's start with the 49ers as they won the game. Uh, they, they played extremely well. Uh, their defense suffocated the Packers at times. Um, Rodgers did, did throw for a pretty high percentage, but um, the Packers weren't able to get anything on the ground, which was true for everybody last year against the 49ers. And in any in any case where you can make an offense one-dimensional, it, it is so key. And that's what the 49ers did on Sunday. They made the Packers one-dimensional and forced Aaron Rodgers to carry the team and uh, throw the ball. And the Packers didn't have any balance, like we mentioned with the Pittsburgh Steelers, as the, the Packers had 14 rushes out of a total of 61 plays. So that means they had over 45, or excuse me, 44 pass attempts versus 14 rushes. That's an awful ratio. Uh, and that's just not going to get it done. I don't, I don't care how good your pass attack is. When you have a balance, uh, when you don't have a balance like that, it's your offense is so heavy in one direction, it's just not going to work. And and if we look at San Francisco, they had 32 rushes, 30 passes. So 
much more balanced, and as a result, they have a better offense. They control the time of possession. Um, they they had more total yards than the Packers did, and the the Packers' defense um, played played off. They they played to not give up the big play. Um, the Dom Capers strategy today was to. Uh, they, the Packers gave up a lot of big plays last year on defense, so they they tried to eliminate those big plays. But as a result, they gave everything underneath, and they they gave up a lot of soft passes. and And Alex Smith had a, a completion percentage of almost seventy seven percent as a result. And Frank Gore rushed for sixteen rushed sixteen times for one hundred and twelve yards and had a touchdown. So that uh, average of seven yards a carry is quite high. Um so I, I was I was pretty impressed with the 49ers, the way they were go were able to go into Lambeau and, and beat a team that was fifteen and one last year. The forty ers to me I, I have my doubts about whether they would be good this year. I know it's only one game, but they've shown that they are completely balanced in all facets of the game. They have an excellent defense. Their offense is Looks like it's going to be better than last year. Alex Smith is maturing. He's getting better. He has more weapons than Randy Moss and Mario Manningham. And that special teams with with David Akers made a record-tying 63-yard field goal. And Andy Lee is a great punter. Of course, the, the 49ers did give up a punt return for a touchdown. Um, Randall, Randall Cobb was able to get that for the Packers. So, you know, that that was one one uh, little black mark on the 49ers' day. But overall, they, they just play so well in, in all three fa- facets of the game. And they could be they're, – they're, they're the most complete team I see after week one. But, but looking at the Packers, they just need more balance. More balance, like I said, they throw the ball too much. They can't stop other teams. Their, their defense, to be honest, when they need a stop – they they can't get it. They have to outscore people, and when they play a team like San Francisco, they can't do that because they're playing a really excellent defense. So one really shining spot for the Packers was Randall Cobb. Cobb had that punt return, like I said, and that was a total of 75 yards. And in the receiving game, he caught nine passes for 77 yards, which was the mo- by far the most passes. Um, for the Packers, which of all their weapons, they have James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Jermichael Finley. It's funny that Rand, the young Randall Cobb was the one that was targeted the most um, against the 49ers, but they at times, yes, Green Bay looks unstoppable on offense, especially with Randall Cobb. As everybody, They're so worried about covering everyone else, and Cobb just goes out simply in the flat, and is able to catch a pass for five, six, ten, you know, to, to ten yards and move the chains. But but ultimately, the 49ers defense was able to come up big and hold off the, the Packers enough to get the victory. And the last game we're going to go over in this opening segment is the Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets. Before we do, I just want to have a quick reminder to our fans I predicted the winners of all these three games in our last show on Wednesday, and I messed all of them up. Um, I picked the Steelers, the Packers, and the Bills, and the Jets ended up winning this game 
48-28. to I also predicted the Giants to beat the Cowboys. That didn't happen. So I guess tomorrow, because I predicted the, the Ravens and Chargers to win, naturally the Bengals and Raiders probably will. So um, to, for anybody keeping the score at home of what my record is, it's not very good right now. But great day for the Jets um, coming out. And not only was it a great day for the Jets, excellent day for Mark Sanchez. It was definitely a game that he needed to have. He needed to come out, not only in the first game, but right away prove that he still deserves to be the starter and that he is the answer for the Jets in getting them back to the playoffs and ultimately getting them to the Super Bowl because that's still where this team wants to go. And although he threw an interception on the first drive, it was a kind of a fluke play, um, a play that Sanchez was running out of the pocket and tried to do, probably just, he was just trying to do too much shovel a pass that he probably should have just you know kept hold on held onto the ball and ran out of bounds to to live to play another day, um, but shoveled it and then getting tipped and intercepted. But the the Jets defense shined brightly today. Got four turnovers from the Bills, three interceptions off Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, one of them was returned for a touchdown off of, uh, from Antonio Cromartie, uh, and Sanchez threw three touchdowns. Two of them were to rookie Stephen Hill, the other to Jeremy Curley. So throwing them also to kind of unexpected targets, at least Jeremy Curley I don't think is very expected. And Curley also had a punt return for a touchdown. So a big day for him, maybe somebody that you might want to consider picking up in your fantasy leagues along with Randall Cobb. So starting off from the from the Jets standpoint, also great balance from the Jets. Yeah, they had 26 rushes, 32 passes, and they had a perfect mix, I thought, of Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow. Sometimes they were on the field at the same time. Sanchez was under center a lot. Tebow occasionally went under center but didn't throw any passes. He strictly ran the option, came in mostly in the red zone area. Um, you can tell that Sanchez isn't happy to come off the field for Tebow, but I think both, as of right now, both are very um, happy or, or at least content in um, the, the game plan from Tony Sperano. I think it was an excellent game plan, excellent calling plays from Sperano with... Um, with the, the the rushing and, and mix of rushes and passes and the mix of Tim Tebow and Mark Sanchez. And winning solves everything. So if, if this team continues to win, I think Sanchez and Tebow will continue to listen to Tony Sperano and follow his scheme if it results in wins. Uh, and, and today it resulted in a big win for the Jets, scoring the most points they ever have on opening day. As for Buffalo, pretty dismal day. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy that you thought was maturing at the quarterback position through three interceptions, uh, another turnover on a fumble. Fred Jackson left the game because of an injury, so uh, and an injury to his leg, uh, his knee specifically, so that was a, a big blow as well as he was out for the good portion of the end of last season with a knee injury. Honestly, Fred Jackson's their best player. I don't think they're going to the playoffs without him. Um, but one shining spot for the Bills was C.J. Spiller. 
Spiller had two rushes for over 56 yards. One of them went for a touchdown. For Excuse me. Spiller had two rushes for over 50 yards. One of them was a 56-yard touchdown run. Um, so, so Spiller looks to be more like that guy that was in college, that, that, that guy that the Bills drafted in the top 15 of the draft a couple years ago. Uh, Spiller excellent average of 12.1 yards per carry 169 total yards and that touchdown so there there is hope for the bills you know actually i I don't want to jump on the jets bandwagon right away because actually the jets last year beat up on the bills pretty badly both times they played so the 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 Jets seem to have the Bills number, so may, maybe that was more of the result of why this game ha- the this game went the way it did. But um, you know the Bills, to in my mind, were a, a team that was going to contend for the playoffs, and the Jets were a team that was it just has been a circus through the the preseason. So many question marks, so much hype, um, and the Jets lived up to that today, and the Bills. Got to go back to the drawing board because it was uh, it was quite a bad game for them. So that's the end of our opening segment covering those three games. We're going to come back with more recap from Sunday's action. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Just to remind our fans out there, if you want to contact me, you can get me at my Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B, or my email at D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com. And I tweeted quite a bit during the afternoon games on Sunday, so you can follow my Twitter um, nonsense of... The games that I watch every Sunday, the two games I watched were the Bills and Jets and the Packers and 49ers, the two games, of course, that I opened up the show with. And um, if you don't have a Twitter account and would still like to follow what I'm saying on Twitter, you can find my tweets at Dave's Football News on Facebook. Just search Dave's Football News in the toolbar. So moving on to the second part of our show, we're going to have a new segment every week of what surprised me the most from the past action. So what surprised me most of week one, there was a couple things, but really what stuck out at me was there were a lot of very close upsets, but only one actually came true, and that was the Washington Redskins defeating the New Orleans Saints. 40-32 40-32 to 32 in the Superdome. And that is what really surprised me, that New Orleans Saints did not lose a game at home at all last year, went 9-0, and including the postseason game against the Lions. And this was a game, when I looked on the schedule, I thought the Redskins were going to be an improved team this year, especially with Robert Griffin III. Everybody thought that he was going to come out and be like a Cam Newton was last year. So that so th- there's a, a little bit of expecta- higher expectations in Washington, but 
and and again, New, New Orleans is a little bit lower because you know without Sean Payton and all the scrutiny of the the Bounty Gate or whatever this past off season. But in the Superdome, with Drew Brees still under center, I didn't think there was a chance that Washington would come up with a victory. If it was at FedEx Field, maybe, yeah. But this was in New Orleans. And Washington was able to win. Robert Griffin III really had an excellent game. Went 19 for 26, 320 yards, two touchdowns. Had that long pass to Pierre Garçon that went for 88 yards. The longest passing play from a rookie on opening day. If that means anything to anybody out there, that's a very specific stat. But uh, Robert Griffin III just shined through. Drew Brees had a pretty good day, but threw two interceptions, had three touchdowns, threw the ball 52 times. And that's kind of been our key uh, through our show. Uh, the, The Saints ran the ball 10 times. 10 rushes, that's it. And then threw the ball 52 times. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have Drew Brees. You're not going to win in the NFL if you run the ball 10 times. And we saw that in New Orleans. So I don't really understand why teams continue to be so pass-heavy, so pass-oriented, when you have to have some some kind of running game. And if we look at the Redskins, they ran the ball 44 times. So they ran the ball more than they passed it and they were able to score 40 points. You don't have to throw the ball to score. Um, the the Redskins just dominated time of possession in this game, 39 minutes off the clock, almost 2-1 to one in time, which is uh, uh, an absurd amount. And the Redskins actually got a lot of those rushing yards from an unlikely source. Alfred Morris ran for 96 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, there's a bunch of different... Uh, guys for the Washington Redskins that you're expecting in the backfield. Uh, Roy Hulu, uh, somebody who didn't play today, Tim Hightower, even an Evan Royster, but it ended up being Morris who was the star today. So that, that's what you get in the Mike Shanahan offense. Um, but this this was a pretty big surprise to me that Washington was able to win. And the, and the way things are unfolding, at least through week one, I know it's very early, but at least the way things unfolded in week one in the NFC East, is Washington a contender right now for that division? And you know what? With Robert Griffin three, I would say yes. I, I know it's it's early. Uh, it's only one game. But you go down to New Orleans and beat the Saints in the Superdome, that's, that's no small feat. So uh, that uh, the Redskins should feel very good about themselves right now. The other thing that surprised me um, about week one, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Browns by one point, 17-16. It was in Cleveland, but Cleveland looks to be the doormat of the NFL this year, to, to say it nicely, and um, it, at least to be at the bottom of the totem pole in the AFC, and Cleveland played Philadelphia very tough. Cleveland has a great defense. Uh, well, I don't know if I would say great, but they have a good defense. Um, can, they did a great job of stopping the pass last year. And as we saw today, Michael Vick threw four interceptions um, on Sunday. So the, the Browns were able to, 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 uh, to, get, to, to capitalize on Michael Vick's mistakes. But look at this. 
again, I, I sound like a broken record, but Michael Vick threw the ball 56 times. 56 times. Now, the Eagles did run 88 plays, so they did run the ball 30 times, but 56 passes, that's a lot of passes, especially for Michael Vick, somebody who's very injury-prone to drop back 56 times and take that many hits. That's that's a lot, and, and Andy Reid has been known for a pass-heavy head coach that throws the ball 60% of the time or more, and they they should feel lucky that they were able to leave Cleveland with a win today. Uh, Cleveland had every opportunity to win this game. Rookie Brandon Whedon, I think, might have had the worst game I've ever seen from a quarterback. Went 12 for 35, four interceptions. He threw for 118 yards. His completion percentage is 34, and his passer rating was 5.1. 5.1. I, I don't remember seeing a lower passer rating than that. I hate I hate to be uh, such a harsh critic on Whedon and the Browns, but they just looked awful. This was a game that they they could have had, and there, there's not many games this year that they're going to be able to say that they could have had, and this is a team that many people think are going to go to the playoffs, and at home, they were just unable to get this to, to get this win. It's uh, it's just very frustrating. I know it's very frustrating for Cleveland Brown fans. You, if you follow any Brown fan on Twitter, the 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 anger just <laughs> is mounting for that team. Especially I think because of what with Art Modell um, passing away this past week and just kind of being reminded of the team that they don't have anymore. That's now in Baltimore. That's really good. And then this team is is so bad. It, it's just insult to injury. Uh, and, and then losing this game was was horrible so but it was a surprise that it was so close Cleveland so close to beating Philadelphia but ultimately Michael Vick is able to pull it out in the last two minutes so we're gonna go to one other game that surprised me and this was an upset in the making but it ended up falling short the Detroit Lions were able to defeat the St. Louis Rams 27-23 this game was in Detroit so another game uh, that in a way underdog nearly pulled up an upset um the redskins of course did pull off the upset but the rams were ahead 23 to 20 with two minutes left of course they were ahead 20 to 13 in the fourth quarter and the lions doing what they did best last year come back from deficits deficits in the fourth quarter and win games matt stafford had a pretty bad game uh throwing three interceptions he had a pretty good completion percentage of 67 Threw for 355 yards and a touchdown, but those three picks really put a damper on the day. Those picks resulted in Ram touchdowns. One was returned for a touchdown by Cortland Finnegan, um, and it, it was a real shame that, at least shame for the Rams, that they weren't able to come out of Detroit with a victory. I know a lot of uh, Ram fans on Twitter were, were disappointed um, that the, this is another team that's, that the, the Rams and the Browns are probably, record-wise, will probably end up the worst two teams in the league. That's my prediction. Of course, we all know that I don't do very well with predictions. But um, the, the Rams aren't going to be in many games this year. And, and this is a game against a, a playoff team from last year, uh, a possible playoff team from this year. A, a, to be honest, Super Bowl contender. Disappointing. Very disappointing for the Rams. They weren't able to win this game. 
And I'm going to point out one other thing before we go to break. There's something, this doesn't really surprise me too much, but it might surprise people around the league. Going to the New England Patriots, they, of course, win uh, again. They've, they seem to start the season 1-0 every year. But uh, they defeated Tennessee 34-13. to uh, not, Well, I guess the big surprise from this game uh, for me is Chris Johnson ran for four yards, which is quite a disappointment as all the hype of him returning to his form from 2009 or 2010 and didn't show that today. But anyway, uh, on the New England side of the ball, they've been such such a pass-heavy team in the last few years, and they've been to Super Bowls and and fell short. So they really, this, this offseason, they seem to really want to reestablish that running game. And in the, the first round, drafted two defensive players in Dante Hightower and Chandler Jones. So they want to strengthen that defense. And it showed today. Stephon Ridley, 21 rushes, 125 yards, and a touchdown. And on defense, both those guys were involved on a play where Chandler Jones sacked Jake Locker, stripped the ball, and Hightower picked it up and returned it for a touchdown. So Patriots scoring in unusual ways, at least for them, scoring on the ground and on defense. And the theme of today's show, balance. If the Patriots can have a good defense again like they did a decade ago, have a little bit of balance on offense, it's just going to make Tom Brady better and and yeah they won't have as many points probably they won't have as, they won't have the stats but they'll be a better offense a better overall team that can go to the Super Bowl and defeat the New York Giants or whoever they're up against and be a, a, a better team and, and more likely to win a Super Bowl so we're gonna go a break once again uh, this week we have Bruce Springsteen music of course, this music, if you don't know, is from his Rising album. I think everybody knows that on Tuesday will be the 11th anniversary of September 11th. The Rising album, of course, was Bruce Springsteen's overall theme on the album was September 11th. And a very touching album if, you get it, if you've ever listened to it. Um, if you haven't, you should listen to it. Um, but anyway, in tribute for the September September 11th coming up this week. So I thought this week would be fitting to have Bruce Springsteen music from his rising album. So we'll take you to a song from that album and then we'll be right back. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. And we're going to go to our fourth and long segment, the segment we've had from day one of our show. We're going to also reference some articles on Football Nation so that you have other good news to read about. Uh, going to start off with the Atlanta Falcons and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, five Things We Learned, article, article written by Matthew Nutter. The first point that he made uh, 
Matt Ryan is a brilliant regular season quarterback. Of course, everybody, I think until the Falcons win a playoff game, everybody's going to say they're a great regular season team in quotation marks and not playoff team. But my statement of the day anyway, Matt Ryan is becoming an elite quarterback, and I'm going to grunt all the way. I really like Matt Ryan. Uh, I am upset I only have him on one of my fantasy teams, and I'm not saying that just because he had a good ga good game today, but I, I think I've said it several times through the offseason on our show that this new offensive coordinator, Dirk Coeder, uh for the Falcons is going to have a much more pass-oriented offense. I still think they're going to have balance. My, they just need to cut down on Michael Turner's touches. He's a little older now. Um, he's not going to be the focal point of the offense. That is now Matt Ryan. They have Julio Jones in addition to Roddy, Roddy White. Julio Jones looks like he's going to be the number one guy pretty soon as he caught two of those touchdowns. Could have been three if Matt Ryan didn't miss him that third time. Um, so the Falcons are flying high after this week one win. and they, they went into Kansas City and got that win. That's always a tough place to play. Uh, so... Falcons are doing very well. I definitely think Ryan is on his way to being an elite quarterback. Going to be an awesome Monday night game next week against the Broncos. And then going on to the Chicago Bears, an article written by Anthony King, a very popular uh, writer on Football Nation. The Chicago Bears role as Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall shine. The, the statement of this, this week's show the Bears will win the NFC North. Of course, with the Packers losing today, and then the Lions really struggling against the Rams, the Bears look favorable in the, the NFC North. Of course, the Vikings did win, but the Vikings don't... Um, the It's not anticipated the Vikings will compete this year. Uh, look, I, I don't want to jump too quickly on any team after one game. It's only one game. There's 15 more to go. Normally, we don't really see what a team is going to be like until after Thanksgiving anyway. But the Bears looked really good today. They, they were playing the Colts. The Colts last year weren't very good. But, um, you know, they, they had uh, a good game today, scoring over 40 points. Uh, Jay Cutler, and uh, as, as said in the title, Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall shined. Uh, Matt Forte had a, had a great day running the ball. And Michael Bush cleaned up, uh, scoring touchdowns on the goal line. So for, for the Bears' offense, it was an excellent day. Um, I guess I haven't answered the question yet. I, I'm, I'm going to punt for now. I, I, I don't. I still don't think the Bears are going to win the division. I, I think the Packers are still going to win. Though this week's game, Bears versus Packers on Thursday night, is going to tell us a lot about what these two teams are about this year. Um, it, I wish I could watch it. I think it's going to be an excellent game. It's on NFL Network, so I don't think I'll be watching it. But um, the the Bears look like a more balanced team, a more complete team, at least at this point in time. We already talked about the Packers and their holes on their team, particularly on defense, and then again in the running game. Um, but... You know, maybe the Packers can make some adjustments and and try and establish some kind of running game. Uh, of course, um, I think Troy Aikman mentioned today that Mike McCarthy's plan was to be pass heavy today against the 49ers because you're not going to get 
a lot on the ground um, against San Francisco. But but against a team like Chicago, yes, they have a very tough defense, but you got to establish some kind of running game so that it's not so emphasized on Aaron Rodgers. But, but going back to the Bears, ask me the same question in a few weeks. Uh, but, but for now, I'm still guessing that the Packers... The Packers are my Super Bowl pick, so I'm still thinking the Packers are going to win that division. And moving on to the NFC East, and I'm actually going to ask the same question about the Cowboys I asked about the Bears. An article written by Wayne Hood, Dallas Cowboys, why they will win the NFC East. With the Giants, of course, losing as they lost to the Cowboys, and the Eagles really struggling in Cleveland, are the Cowboys now the favorite in the East? And that's my that's my statement. Cowboys, the favorite in the East. It's too early. I, I know I, I'm coming up with these statements myself uh, to, to try and, and stir controversy, I guess, or, or to get people thinking, uh, our fans listening, thinking, and then I'd love to hear your comments or what your opinions are. But, but I, I still think it's too early. I think Dallas played really well on the road against the Super Bowl champs in prime time. They played great, and, and I'm, I was really impressed with Dallas. Um, probably impressed with Dallas maybe as much as any other team though I was really impressed with San Francisco this weekend um so I I think Dallas is going to be up there um in contention the the Giants uh, the Giants are going to be there I think the Eagles are going to be there and and you know what the Redskins might be there too so it's going to be a really interesting division but I really think the Cowboys are going to give those three or those three teams a run for their money it's going to be a great division race. I, I do know that, but I'm not sold that the, the Cowboys are the favorite at this point, only one week into the season. So that's the end of our fourth and long segment. I just wanted to reference one other game from this weekend. The Jacksonville Jaguars went into Minnesota, a, a game that's kind of forgotten because these two teams were two of the worst teams in the league last year. And... Um, so it wasn't a very uh, hyped-up game, but actually turned into a pretty good match. Uh, two very even teams, and of course, Adrian Peterson returning from ACL and MCL tearing last Christmas Eve. He ran for 84 yards and two touchdowns. Must have been a great feeling for him and the fans there in Minnesota that their star is back and looks to be completely healthy less than nine months of rehab, which is amazing that he was able to do that as a running back. Um, and this also marked the first game in the regular season where we had the new overtime rules. Of course, the, the Minnesota Vikings received the ball in overtime, went down, kicked a field goal to go ahead, but the Jaguars got the ball back. The Vikings defense stopped them, so Minnesota got the win. That is the new overtime rules. That is... We saw it uh, used a couple times last year in the playoffs, but now every game in the NFL, every overtime game will be played this way. So a little bit of history today if you saw the Jaguars and Vikings. Very exciting game at the end of, at the end of regulation as the Jaguars scored with 20 seconds left, got the two-point conversion to make a three-point game, then Minnesota drove down for the game-tying field goal. So I had to throw in some love. 
for Minnesota and Jacksonville fans out there who listen to our show. Here's one more from Bruce Springsteen, then we'll come back and wrap up our show. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Just a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B, or email me at D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com. Of course, you can also like my Facebook page, Dave's Football News. Also, would like to remind you that you can check out Tom Poland's series, Drop Back in History. He has a great series out about the history of the NFL. He, he does a lot of research in finding out what um, has happened in this week or, or each week um, in the NFL history and, and references those events and teaches us younger people about uh, the history of the game, which is, is quite interesting. I enjoy those articles very much, so you should check them out. Um, I'm also actually hoping, I haven't asked him yet, but I know he listens every week to our show, I'm hoping that at some point Tom Poland would like to come on as a guest on our show. Maybe maybe we'll do that next week um, after week two. Um, good thing that uh, our show is on Monday from now on, the regular season, so I don't have to do any more predictions. I'm just going to recap games and tell you what I think after the fact the games are played. I'm not going to make any more predictions, um, as I did pretty awful in the first week. But uh, anyway... Uh, the reminder for you listeners who are listening on Monday tonight, uh, Baltimore and Cincinnati are playing, and also the late night game, San Diego and Oakland. And for those of you listening later in the week, Green Bay and Chicago are playing on Thursday night. This is the first year that the NFL has a Thursday night game every week this year. So that's all we have for today. I'm Dave Holcomb. Of course, you can listen to FN Today on Wednesdays. That that podcast is hosted by Alex Reamer. And then next Monday morning, as always, will be the next episode of Monday Morning Huddle. And to end today's show, rather than going with our traditional theme song, Monday, Monday Morning by Fleetwood Mac, I'm going to play a fourth song from that rising album, The Last One, um, it is titled My City in Ruin, and it's very touching. It was one of the most touching songs that he played when I saw him live a week and a half ago. Once again, it's from the Rising album, uh, which is completely about September 11th. And I leave you with that final song as we will have the 11th anniversary of that infamous day in American history this week on Tuesday. Thank you all for listening Here's Bruce one more time. The boarded up windows, the empty streets, all my brothers died.